It's only week nine, but we're finishing our series called Miracles. Isn't that amazing? Miracles, God's power to change your life. Week nine, we're finishing it up. We've been talking about all the sorts of things that God does because God can do anything. Amen? And He's not asleep, He's not indifferent. God does interact in this world. God can do anything, but He doesn't do just anything. So the example we've been using is, could God give me the ability to fly like Superman? He sure could. Is He going to? Very, very unlikely. Yeah. I could pray, and if I think, you know, well, if I just have enough faith, and I just believe strong enough, and I just really, really want it enough, God will give me the ability to fly. Well, I've got no promise for that. I've got no reason to believe that. And it's very, very, very likely that I will be disappointed because God has not given that ability to anybody ever. And so why would I think God's going to do that? We want to see what God does and believe God for the things that are promised and the things that there's evidence that God would do. And so we've been covering lots of different categories of miracles And we're not even getting to all of them in in nine weeks, but here's what we've covered so far. Being born again, God intervening in somebody's life, putting them on another path. Baptism in the Holy Spirit with the heart miracle. We've talked about communication with God through visions, dreams, and the still small voice. We've talked about dealing with the demonic and the authority of the believer. We've talked about physical healing, being saved from circumstances, Provision miracles. Last week we talked about judgment miracles. We see that Old Testament, the wrath of God, big topic. New Testament as well, judgment. And so we covered two things last week. Very important things. First thing, you are not a minister of God's wrath. You are a minister of reconciliation. All right? You are a minister of reconciliation between God and people. Minister that. Don't think you're the one that's supposed to point out what all's going wrong with certain people and minister wrath to them. And the second thing we learned is that we need to understand the difference between God's wrath and God's discipline. Because when we choose to follow Christ, we are set free from God's wrath by the blood of Christ. However, we are not set free from God's discipline. In fact, the scriptures are very clear that God disciplines those he loves. And so if we're not disciplined, we're illegitimate children. And so the promise is we will be disciplined by God. But we'll be disciplined by God because he sees our potential and he loves us and he wants to bring us up. Wrath is not out of love. It is for destruction. It's for pure punishment. Discipline may seem unpleasant at the time, but it is out of love so that we can grow and learn and get better. So we need to embrace the discipline of God and realize we are free from the wrath of God. And this week, we'll finish up the series talking about the greatest miracle of all time. And so let's pray and let's talk about that miracle. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for this time. I thank you, Lord, for each one that's here. And Father, I know that each one of us is dealing with different things and we're, we're fighting different battles in life and we need a little different word from you. And so I pray that 
by your spirit, you would just touch each one of us with what we need. Help us to see what you've got for us individually. And Lord, bless our time corporately. Help us to get where you want us to go. Lord, help us to see. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. The greatest miracle of all time is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This miracle changed the world. And it's, it's why it's 2016. It's why we have Sundays off from work. It, this is a huge, huge moment in time. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now let me just, I want to poll the group. How many people have heard that Jesus rose from the dead? Raise your hand if you have heard about that before. So that's the vast majority. I think that it might even be everybody. So here's the deal. This is the most important thing that we need to understand. And yet familiarity creates blind spots. And so we need to be careful not to be unaware, to take for granted, to forget about, to not be conscious of what the resurrection of Christ means for us. When I was in college years ago, I went from, I grew up in North Dakota and went to college in Illinois. And this was in the the late 80s after the 85 Bears won the Super Bowl and Michael Jordan was playing for the Bulls and I was wildly outnumbered over there and uh, lived in this house with a bunch of guys and, and something bad happened in some football game and a guy punched a hole in the wall, which can happen, you know. Uh, You've you got to be passionate about things. But we're going to watch football in the fellowship hall. Do you see the big TV back there? We've got the sound system going. We're ready to go. Uh, don't punch holes in the wall. Pastor Larry would be very upset about that. I don't care what, what uh, the Vikings do. Don't punch a hole in the wall. But punched a hole in the wall, and then we thought we should fix that. But we didn't. And then the next week, we looked at the hole and thought, we should fix that. And then about a month later... Somebody came over and said, you guys have a hole in the wall. And we said, what? Like right there, there's a hole. Like, oh yeah, look at that. We just had gotten used to it, you know, and just sort of forgot it was there. It's like a picture on the wall, whatever. Like, you know, we just got used to it. So familiarity creates blind spots. And we don't want to have blind spots when it comes to what the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ means for us. We don't want to walk around not aware of what this means. So today I have a goal, and that goal is to have all of us hear this story and believe it like it was the first time, like we'd never heard this before, and then also to believe it. You know, I've read the Bible as an evaluator and a skeptic, and I've read the Bible just believing it by faith. And it's two different books. Two different books. If we hear this story, we read through the resurrection as believers, people who say, yes, this is what happened, hallelujah, it will have a different impact on you than if you're evaluating it and judging it. So I want us to go through this like it's the first time. Now, I'm a first-generation believer. 
I was a, I thought I was an agnostic, but it turned out I was an atheist because when I became a Christian, I realized there was no room in my thinking for God to be real. And so it was quite a bit of battling to try to figure out how could this be possible and got a couple degrees in philosophy and that was helpful for me. I don't suggest that for anybody else. Uh, It's probably a bad idea. Uh, However, philosophy in uh, secular institutions can help you doubt anything and it was able to help me doubt atheism and that was very important for the building of my faith in the Lord was to be able to doubt atheism. And so I was able to do that and that was very, very helpful. But as a first-generation believer, I got saved when I was 19. And not from, like, uh, you know, nominal Christian, yeah, 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 to sold out for Jesus. But from unbeliever, content unbeliever, to, oh my gosh, there's an afterlife? Are you telling me? That this isn't all there is? And that's actually true? And it was a shocking, shocking, amazing, incredible thing. And I don't want any of us to take for granted and to not be thankful for the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the fact that we can get in on that deal. That we can have life everlasting through Christ. If we are not aware of that, if we aren't carrying that with us through the day, we are seeing this world and this life in a way we're not supposed to see it. We see it in a darker light. We have a hard road. If we know our hard road is a hard road to everlasting life in the paradise of God, we walk that road a little differently. So let's try to see this. For the first time. And let's try to have it be real. You know. I'm not sure. As a first generation Christian. I've seen a lot of second generation. Or you know. Whatever you call them. People who have been in Christian families. For generations. And it's just sort of old hat. You know what I like. You talk about the resurrection. They're like yeah yeah. Give me something new and interesting. Like you, you. you get to live forever isn't new and interesting. You know, like, this is a shocking, incredible thing. And we can't take it for granted. And, and so it's not real in people's hearts a lot of the times. And I want it to be real. Because if the resurrection isn't real, then church becomes about other things. What church needs to be about is the incredible forgiveness of the Lord Jesus Christ that's offered to each one of us so that we can... Not be destroyed, not suffer judgment and wrath after the resurrection, but we can take part in everlasting life and be freed from the second death. It's an incredible thing. That's what this needs to be about, teaching people about the ways of God. Instead, church becomes about tradition or keeping people happy or entertaining people or coping platitudes, or relationship bonds, and, and the group comes up, becomes about branding or coolness. Uh, what's the guy wearing in the front? 
you know, that sort of stuff. It's actually a big deal. I spent a lot of time trying to figure out what I should wear and how I should hold my coffee cup to make people feel comfortable so that they will put up with hearing about the Lord Jesus Christ and that sort of thing. And if you wear jeans and you hold the cup, not by the handle, but this way, there's certain people that'll be like, well, I'm going to listen to what that guy has to say. And so great. I'm going to do that. But let's make this about what God has done and the greatest miracle of all time. So let's read through this like it's the first time you've ever heard it and be a believer. Believe this. Let's go to John chapter 20, starting in verse 1. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, First day of the week is Sunday. The Sabbath is Saturday. The first day of the week, that's why the resurrection gives us a two-day weekend. It's because the first day of the week became a holy day as well. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb. We don't know where they have put him. So what did Mary think? Somebody's stolen the body. They are adding insult to injury. Not only do they mock him and beat him and try him and crucify him and kill him. Now after we bury him, we can't even mourn him properly. They're going to steal the body. That's what Mary's thinking. We don't know where they put him. Verse 3. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. So Mary says, somebody took the body. John and Peter take off running. They look inside. They go inside. The burial clothes are folded up and set away. And they see and believe. What did they believe? I think they believed somebody took the body. Let's keep reading and see how they respond. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. So this is is John chapter 20. John, the one who got to the tomb first. He's writing this down. They still didn't understand. We didn't get it. What would you do if you were one of the twelve and you saw the empty tomb? How would you respond? 
Well, if you understood, you might respond a particular way, but if you didn't understand, you might respond this way. Verse 10. Then the disciples went back to their homes. They just went home. They saw the empty tomb with the the linens lying there. And they're like, well, guess I'm going home. This is no good. Somebody took him. And they're probably angry and heartbroken and feeling helpless. Verse 11. But Mary stood outside the tomb crying. So Mary stays. She's crying. She's feeling violated and and just terrible. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head, the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? Now they're asking, why are you crying? Because they understand the situation. Mary does not understand the situation. She doesn't think that the resurrection has happened. She thinks somebody stole the body. So they're asking her, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. So this is another example of people seeing the resurrected Christ and not recognizing Him. This is Mary. Verse 15. Woman, He said, why are you crying? Hear the theme? Why are all you people weeping about this? Something wonderful has happened. Why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking He was the gardener. So Mary's talking to the resurrected Christ. She doesn't recognize him. She thinks he's the gardener. She can't, in her mind, think that this could have happened, that the resurrection could have happened. It's just too amazing. Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher or rabbi. Now she understands. Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am returning to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. On the evening of that first day of the week, So Mary's testimony has been given, but none of the other disciples have seen anything yet. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. So they were shocked, they were amazed, they were overjoyed. They realized that Jesus had conquered death, that the things that looked like were horrible, evil things that were happening were really something completely different, that death had been conquered. They were overjoyed. Verse 21, again Jesus said, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, 
I am sending you. So Jesus says, I was sent for a mission from God to this world. Now you carry it on. And that charge, of course, applies to us as well. Jesus has died for the sins of the world that we may be ministers of reconciliation between God and people. He's sending us to a dark world. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. That's an interesting thing to say. Um, We believe that if you ask the Lord for forgiveness, you're forgiven. You don't need to go through a person. However, at the end of the service, we'll have the prayer teams up in the front. And if you come up in the front and you you have them pray for you for forgiveness of sins, I, I believe... 100% you will be forgiven, brought into the kingdom of God. You will be able to walk away from this place, born again and new. If you forgive anyone, they're forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now Thomas, called Dynamis, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. Now Thomas gets a bad rap. They call him Doubting Thomas. If you've heard him referred to that way, he was a very courageous, very strong believer. believer. We'll hear from him a little bit uh, later uh, in the sermon. But Thomas was a strong, strong person. He was willing to say things other people weren't willing to say. And he was the first person given the opportunity. Well, the other ones could have believed Mary's testimony. They were overjoyed when Jesus showed up. Thomas is given the special opportunity to believe the testimony of the other ten. But he wasn't there. He wasn't with the disciples. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. So I, this isn't here to show that Thomas was a doubter and a skeptic and a bad guy. This is here to show that even someone as strong as Thomas is having trouble processing and understanding that this could even be possible. We've seen him die. When people are crucified and killed, they don't get better. Thomas understands that. He's a smart guy. And he can't wrap his mind around it. So he says, I'm not going to believe that. Verse 26. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Let me ask you this question. How big of a heresy is it to deny the resurrection of Christ? That would be up there, right? Was Thomas kicked out of the group? No. He's still in there. They're saying... You'll, you'll get it eventually, Thomas. We, you, you'll figure it out. You're still, you still belong. That's a, that's a wide range of tolerance. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting. And believe. Thomas said to him, 
my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. This is the place I think most people would be at. The opportunity to believe without seeing. I've seen enough to where I feel like I've lost this blessing. But let me tell you, the simple fact is, if you will believe and go forward without God having to prove things to you, step by step, moment by moment, scripture by scripture, if you will just go with it, go with the ways of God, there's an incredible blessing with that because you get to have the fruit without the fight. Take the blessing of believing without forcing God to prove it to you. Verse 30. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of His disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in His name. So here, John turns it from There's an incredible thing that has happened. Jesus has conquered death. The tomb is empty. He's shown himself to the believers. And guess what? You may have life in his name as well. It's not just about Jesus rising from the grave. It's about us grabbing hold of everlasting life and being able to have life in the name of Jesus. Well, that's a big deal. Jesus is the way. How do I grab hold of everlasting life? Because I want, I was happy to live however many years I could live. 50, 60, 80, I don't know. I thought that was great. Awesome to be alive. To live forever in the paradise of God. I'll fight for that. John 14, starting in verse 1, Jesus explains how this works. Do not let your hearts be troubled. He says this to the disciples right before he's going to be arrested and tried and beaten and crucified and killed. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. You're going to go through some things and you're not going to understand them, but trust in God in the midst of these trials. And trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. This is specific. There's a place for you in heaven. There's a place for me. I've made my request. I want to live on the outskirts of town, have some fruit trees and a cart, maybe a horse or two, because somebody's got to feed the people in the city, right? And I'll pick some fruit. I'll drive them in. That's what I've asked for. I don't know what I'll get. (laughs) It'll be good, though. He's there to... Jesus has gone ahead to prepare a place for us. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. It was a little bit of a riddle. 
So Thomas, who has the courage to speak and ask the question that everybody else is thinking but is afraid to bring up, says, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So what Jesus is saying is follow me. Follow me through this life and you will follow me to everlasting life. I'm the way. We follow Jesus. That's the way. The Apostle Paul puts it this way in Philippians 3, 7 through 11. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. I looked up in the Greek that somehow, and it's like the word if and the word somehow mixed together. If somehow... He doesn't know how this works. But he knows Jesus is alive and Jesus appeared to him and Jesus offers everlasting life and if we follow him in this life, he will give us everlasting life and so he's like, I'm going to follow him in this life. I've given everything else up. It's not worth anything to me because I want to know Christ, the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, being like him in his death so that I can somehow attain to the resurrection from the dead. What would you give? What would you do? What would you trade for $50 million? What would you do? What would you trade? What would you give for 50 more years of perfect health? What would you give for everlasting life in the paradise of God. I wonder what heaven is like. I've told you I've made my request. I don't understand exactly how it's going to be, but I know it's going to be purposeful activity. There will be creative expression. We'll be doing things. Not just floating on a cloud playing a harp. That's a mythology. Let's look at Revelation 21, 1 through 8. Then I saw a new heaven. This is John, the same John that we read from John chapter 20, the one who showed up at the empty tomb. This is a revelation from God to that same John. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. See, he goes there to prepare a place for us. I think it's already built. 
And I hear a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. We live in that old order where there is death and pain and crying and hardship and struggles. We live in that order. But the promise is, is that order will pass away and we will have the opportunity to live everlasting life in this paradise of God. Verse 5. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. He who overcomes will inherit all this, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. If we overcome... We get to drink without cost because Jesus has paid the price. We have that living water. We've got to finish the paragraph though, verse 8. Because contrast is powerful. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters and all liars, their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur, This is the second death. I wondered why cowardly was on there. We don't normally, you know, in the the Greek, that word is afraid. The afraid. The cowardly, the timid. Why is that? Well, it's because if you don't have the courage to fight, there's blood on your hands just the same. That's what it says. It's kind of harsh. So who gets in? Isn't that the important question? Who gets in? We've seen it described here. First important thing is to realize it's not up to me. People look at me like, am I getting in? I'm like, it's not my call. Um, And man, there's extreme thoughts with this. Like everybody goes to heaven or... There's some angry type people who think they're the only one that's going to go to heaven. Maybe just three people that are their friends and that's going to be it, you know. Uh, Here's the truth. This This is what I know in its simplest form. If you serve in God's kingdom now, you will live in God's kingdom later. It's a sure thing. It's if you serve in God's kingdom now, Whoever you are, wherever you're from, whatever your past, none of that matters. If you're willing to serve in His kingdom now, you will live in God's kingdom later. Everything else, in my opinion, is just theological speculation. I do believe God is looking to find any excuse to let people in because of His character and His love. But I don't want to be in a gray area. I don't want to be in that, well, I think I'm probably in a decent... Serve in God's kingdom now. 
you will live in God's kingdom later. I'm going to invite the prayer teens up. We're going to close here in just a minute. Next week, Pastor Larry is going to talk about baptism. August 17th, we'll be having our baptism service Wednesday night at Pinehurst at the pool. And it, baptism is a picture of the resurrection of Jesus and our participation in his death and his resurrection. Let's look at that in Romans 6 for our closing scripture. Starting in verse 3, 3 through 5. Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? It's interesting. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. So here it's saying we identify with the the death of Christ, the laying down of the old. The old is gone. The new has come. We are new creations in Christ. We are able to live a new life in Christ. That new life in Christ is the life we live here. We live a new life. Verse 5. If we have been united with Him like this in His death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. I like the word certainly. That's a nice word. Let's live the new life. Let's be united with him in his death, laying aside the the things of this world and the things of the distractions and sins and the things that entangle us. And let's walk this life with the Lord. And we will certainly be united with him in his resurrection. If you've never trusted in Jesus for new life and everlasting life, for forgiveness of sins, that maybe you don't think you're, you're good enough for God who is holy, and that's a natural thought. But who you are and your failures and sins is not enough to take the power of the blood of Jesus away. You can trust in Him to have your sins forgiven and to be brought into service to the King of Kings and brought into everlasting life. If you're a believer who has just sort of taken this for granted, it's not been part of your thinking, it's You know, you're more interested in let's sing a cooler song or whatever it is. I want you to to remember that Jesus died, that he rose. And this life we give to him. And he gives us everlasting life. He's prepared a place for you in the holy city. Don't let that slip out of your mind because it'll get you through some hard days. Let's pray. Let's believe God to keep us 
aware of and thankful for resurrection power. And then I'll invite people forward for personal prayer. Let's pray together first. Heavenly Father, you are so good. You are so good. Thank you for all the miracles you do. Lord, thank you for the greatest miracle of conquering death, of defeating the enemy. Lord, we just praise you. That's amazing. And thank you that you give us with our shortcomings and the things we've done wrong and the people we've hurt, that you've made a way for us to be set free from our guilt and shame and to grab hold of everlasting life as if we were as righteous as you. Thank you for that. Let us be aware of that and never forget it. Walk through this life knowing that we have a righteousness that's not our own, And we have a place in heaven prepared for us. Lord, again, if there's someone in here, for those in here who need to say, yes, Lord, I will follow you. Give them the courage to say that right now in their hearts between you. and Give them the courage to come up for prayer. Also, Lord, bless all those who come up for prayer for whatever the need may be. Lord, I pray a blessing over each one that's in this place right now. I pray, Lord, your joy would be in our hearts. Lord, your peace would cover us and that we would be able to walk through this life in joy, in peace, with love, bringing your light to this world. Lord, let it be. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.